You're listening to The Leaf Report. Follow the guys on Twitter at Jonas Siegel and at Myrtle. Okay, we're doing a, a weird version of The Leaf Report podcast. Chris Johnson from Sportsnet lives across the street from me, so I invited him here, and we're going to make him part of this podcast. James, you don't have any say, so we're doing it. We have one microphone, so it's going to be... Uh... It'll be... Here, Chris, say hello. Hello, everyone. It's weird to see how the sausage is made. As a regular uh, listener of the podcast, I've never actually seen behind the scenes here. It's like it's like not that impressive a sausage, to be honest. Well, I, I think the finished product's okay, but the way we make it, the factory's not very good. All right, so let's... Uh, I'm going to pose some questions to both of you, and I'll talk myself as well. Um, so the Leafs have won 9 of 10. Um, Chris, I'll start with you. When you look at like the big scope of this streak, what's like the one thing that jumps out at you most? The Leafs are scoring a lot of goals. It's probably the most obvious thing to me. 42 and 10. I'm trying to figure out what it all means, which it sounds weird. I mean, look, you don't ever want to be too critical. When a team goes 9-1, and one, it is a league of streaks. But there's a lot of sort of concerning numbers and stuff built into the streak. Mm-hmm. A lot that suggests... This won't, I mean, obviously it's not going to continue. They're not going to win 23 of 24 or whatever to end the year. But, um, you know, I'm just wondering what's going on kind of with the Matthews line, which has been either great or had some really, you know, uncharacteristically poor nights during that run. Mm-hmm. I think it's easy to like what Kadri and Marner are doing together. But I think what stands out is I haven't figured out what's going on with it. But they're, they're scoring a ton, and we know they have elite offensive players, and, and Freddie Anderson's been pretty good too. So here we are. It kind of felt like that maybe they were in line for a stretch where they weren't going to win a lot of games there for a while, and then all of a sudden they've ripped this off. I mean, part of it is they I think they've changed the lineup for the better, but then you look at underlying numbers and all that stuff. Their possession's lower than it was in the first 49 games of the year. and You know, I mean, playing your high-end guys with your other high-end guys obviously makes sense. I mean, I think that that's part of why mm-hmm. they're more successful right now. Well, but I think when you look at, like, this stretch – um, Chris pointed out, you pointed out, they're scoring a lot. And it's like that stretch before, it was like they couldn't score at all. And I think what's interesting now is like when, when like Chris said, that Matthews line isn't going, what they didn't have before was anybody else who, like any other line that could go. And now it's like when the Matthews line is off, like it was on Wednesday night against Columbus, like it was, uh, you know, sporadically the last few games. Um, suddenly it's like they have this other combo that's like really interesting and effective like i don't know with with martyr and kadri when they looked the best last season it was other teams were having a hard time matching up against them because they had three lines that could score and yeah. now it almost feels like that maybe sometimes the fourth line can score too you know if if Kapanen or whatever i mean it's the fourth line's more of a threat than it's been in the last couple of years maybe i mean the brian boyle helped them quite a bit too but i think what chris is saying makes a lot of sense we're not really sure night to night what Leafs team we're going to see, let alone like what's going to happen over a 10-game stretch. And their schedule the rest of the way is so soft, though, that they could really put up a big record here, I think, the last, was it 23 games left, I think? I'm not good at the math. It's something like that. I don't have the standings in front of me. It's funny because I'm never right about things like this, but before we went to Chicago, I I wrote this sort of like notebooky story with just some random, like basically Leaf thoughts. And one of the things I, I wrote there is, man, they could actually challenge 103 points, which is the franchise record. Uh, 
you know, just because of the schedule really was the, the biggest thing I was looking at. They're and, on pace and the, for 104, I think, right? And now they are. I mean, at that point, I think they were on pace for about 96, but I just was anticipating a strong finish. I, I didn't see this playing out this way. You know, I, I do know this from speaking to some, some people who work for other teams recently. No one wants to play the Leafs. I mean, not because they're a perfect team by any stretch, but I think the fact that they can score like this, no one's that surprised when they – do have a run where they score four goals a game for 10 games. And when you see the way Anderson's played, you know, I think that's scary. I mean, the, the idea of trying to match those top two lines, what, what a team would do in a series. I mean, we talk about matchups a lot in individual games, but sometimes let's face it, like Columbus, for example, is playing back-to-back nights. I don't think it's as much a part of what was happening in the way the teams were being coached, but it changes when you get into that two weeks. And, and I don't know what an opponent would do with those two lines and, and, you know, either can really kill you, and and then you you know factor in that, that the Leafs have got such good goaltending this year. I mean, I, I don't know. They're probably not favored right now playing either Boston or Tampa, but I don't think either of those teams are clamoring to play them either. The difference, no one, none of us are really surprised that the Leafs are scoring a lot of goals. I don't think. I mean, I remember you were writing in the beginning of the season that they could, they would lead the league in scoring and, and those kinds of things. And it was like, yeah, that makes sense. With the way they just ripped up preseason and the way they played the first five or six games, the surprising thing to me is that Anderson legit looks like he can be a Vesna candidate. And that's not what I was expecting. So you're right. I mean, even if their blue line is, I'm not sure that it is, but even if it is bottom 10, it might not matter if you have a top five offense and a goalie that's legit top five. I mean, that, like you said, I, of course you don't want to play that. I was going to say you can give the mic back to Chris. He's got a thought. I don't actually really. I mean, we're buying another mic. <laughs> it's such a. <laughs> you guys need more of a budget, I guess, to, to to get a second mic in this podcast. Did we promo Babsox yet? No. Babsox provides our budget. They sponsor us. All right. We need Babsox. We need another mic here. <laughs> For when I just show up randomly. Yeah, they haven't paid us in a while. Oh, okay, well, <laughs> keep that business to yourself, maybe. <laughs> but, you know, I, I think the playoffs are going to be fascinating. I mean, this divisional playoff format in general, I I really don't like. I don't think it's doing what the league had hoped. I actually believe, honestly, that it's going to be changed in the near future, but, but obviously not for this year's playoffs. And, you know, the worst spot is for whoever finishes second in the Atlantic because – that that team then knows it has to go through two of the other best teams in the league just to get to the third round where, you know, they might get Pittsburgh or, you know, maybe Washington. You know, they won't be having an easy third round either. I mean, it's 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 not really fair and equitable. And, you know, I think it's going to be a, a tough spot really for either Boston, Tampa, or Toronto. Um and that's sort of what you almost have to you almost have to narrow your focus on that when we're talking about the Leafs, what the season could become, where they're going. It's how do they get through Boston and or Tampa, uh, you know, and, and play more playoff games than they did last year. So if they did the one to eight format, which I think a lot of us are in favor for, I don't know what Jonas thinks, but it sounds like Chris is in favor for it, and I would be too. They would be playing Philly right now if we just went by points. I mean, obviously that that's a better matchup for Toronto than having to go through Tampa and Boston first round second round and the thing i don't like about the division heavy format is that there aren't really rivalries with a lot of these teams in the division like there's no tampa toronto rivalry i mean it'd be a great series i'd love we'd love to see it and cover it and whatever but it's not actually a rivalry and then if we if you have divisions that are all messed up where you've got three really good teams like in the atlantic and then five crappy ones you end up in these weird 
situations like this. Yeah, I guess the problem with the divisions is like you have so much parity that one year one team is in or two teams are in and then the next year it's like completely different. So you're never getting the matchups that they want. Do you think that's fair? I guess before you answer that, um, let me ask you guys, like when you look at Tampa, Toronto, Boston, if you were like ranking them or, or maybe a better question is if you're Toronto, which of those teams would you rather face? And like how much better do you actually think Tampa or Boston are than Toronto? I think I'd rather face Tampa just because you have a greater chance of it being an open flowing series where the goals are coming a little bit more. And my concern with Boston is that Bergeron really shuts down Matthews. And then, I mean, we just talked about how much firepower the Leafs have other than just Matthews, but Boston, I don't, I think the Leafs would look better when they're not playing teams that are real lock it down teams this year. And that Boston would have the potential to do that. I think Tampa's a bit more vulnerable too. I mean, we're talking only less than two weeks from the trade deadline, so by the time you're listening, maybe a trade has, has happened that, that changes my outlook. But, you know, in seeing the most recent Leafs-Lightning game, you know, there's some concerns, legitimate concerns about the Lightning's blue line. I mean, after Victor Hedman, you know, Anton Strahlman's getting a little older. I think Mikhail Sergachev, we would all agree, has great tools, and I think he's got a great future, but he's still 19. And, and you get in a playoff series, that that's a bit of a wild card in terms of how – he handles that, and then you still have, you know, Girardi, and they played Schuster in the last Leafs game, yeah. uh, Coburn. I mean, it's not a stout blue line. It's certainly their top item on the wish list ahead of the deadline, so maybe they make a move and get someone like Mike Green, you know, who also has some defensive deficiencies, but but maybe they're able to round it out and, and have a better sort of, you know, three pairings. But to me, if, if you're going up against them, we're talking about matchups, yeah. the, the, the Lightning can be exploited i think especially with the leafs offensive weapons i mean they've had a great year from vasilevsky struggled a bit more recently uh, i mean it's not going to be easy but I, I could see them actually having more of a puncher's chance against the lightning than the bruins as we're looking at it today jonas i think you wrote about this when the leafs lightning game how john cooper started his two top defensemen together I don't know why he did that. It seems like kind of a weird decision against a team like the Leafs, but that's that's what he did. He started Hedman and Strawman together. But the problem was, like Chris is talking about, is that their other pairings weren't very good, and the Leafs are, can throw a whole bunch of weapons at those other pairings, especially when it's the game's in Toronto and he has last change. He's like, all right, let's put Matthews out against Schuster or whatever, and it's, the Lightning are totally screwed. Well, and that's like to Chris's point. Like After that first pair, if those guys are together... It's like on a second pair, you've got Dan Girardi. And then on a third pair, you've got Braden Coburn and Andre Schuster. Like, it's just not, it's not good enough to match up with Toronto. Like, that's why, like, if I'm, if I'm, I don't know, if I'm Mike Sullivan heading into the game on Saturday and I'm, like, trying to figure out, like, how to match up, I'm like, okay, hmm, should I use my top pair against Matthews because he's their best player and Neander is, I don't know, their third best player? Or do I, do I use it against Kadri and Marner who have just been, like, red hot? Like, how do you... I don't know what you do in a situation like that. I was thinking watching the Columbus game, Aaron Portsline, who who covers the Blue Jackets for the Athletic, was talking a lot about why the Blue Jackets are using that strategy where they just throw everything at the net. They don't have any finishers. Like they don't have they don't have Kadri, Marner, Matthews, Nylander, you know, and then your your depth guys are like JBR and other players, you know, Brown, Marlowe, those they don't they've got a lot of guys that are go to the net and bang it in and it worked for them last year and it's not working for them this year. So just chucking it at the net makes sense for them. It makes no sense for the Leafs to do that. No, I mean, it's funny. One thing I, Matthews, uh, 
said to me you know, a couple of weeks ago is that you know he's taken. I actually don't know where I haven't looked at it today, but he at that point he'd taken a little bit less shots uh, than he had in the past, and I assume that's still the case. Yeah. And he'd said that he's being more selective with his shooting, and and you know sometimes when players say that you might wonder if maybe they're rationalizing or something, but I actually believe it in his case because you see a lot of times when he's in a position where he could shoot. You see him waiting too, but it's low percentage. Exactly, it doesn't it doesn't seem that his first instinct, even though he's such a great shooter, obviously one of the best goal scorers in the league. But he, it's, his first instinct isn't always just to shoot it. I mean, he's really methodical about how he does it. And it probably explains why the Leafs are routinely outshot and still winning. I mean, and, and even though, as we know in general, when, when you're looking at these this, these sort of trends over a huge period of time, usually that's not a recipe for winning. But there's there's some reasons why I think we could see Toronto having success with that that aren't just luck or just, you know, a, a great, you know, stretch. I mean, Matthew shoots, what, 17 18%. Maybe for that, at this stage of his career, maybe that's sustainable. Maybe that isn't just luck. Um, and it might speak to, to the unique skill he has and the ability he has to... I mean, some of the, the goals he scored recently are crazy. I mean, the one where he, he followed up that, that play... Oh, what game was that? He just put it perfectly in the top corner. I mean, it, uh, uh, Yeah, Ottawa, right? And the, the team was all frozen because Nylander... Exactly. It. Like, I mean, it's a great play by Nylander, but he just... He only needs that look from that spot, and he... he like the finish there is just perfect. Yeah, he like puts it right in the elbow, and it's like he meant to do it. And it's like, so last year he was fourteen point three percent. It's so it's three. So to your point, Chris, and sorry again for the microphone. Um, so last year he averaged three point four shots per game, and this year he's right around three. So it's exactly like Chris said. Well, I mean, yeah, but the shooting percentage is what the one one I was looking at. It was fourteen point three last year, and it's seventeen point six this year. So his career average right now is a little over fifteen, which is one of the best career averages of anybody. Stamkos is usually around seventeen. Crosby's fifteen, sixteen. He's right there with those guys in terms of how he can finish. And if he is more selective and can add two or three percent to his shooting percentage, you want to do that every day. Right, and if we're talking one hundred and thirty games, give or take, in the NHL, I mean. I think we can conclude that he's we can at this point anyway before he ages. I mean, you can count on him likely outperforming what you'd expect from average, and you know makes sense given the way we see him score. I mean, it's not he doesn't have to be a volume shooter to, to score a ton. I heard that he worked on his shot quite a bit in the off season. I don't know that it's been he he was asked about it a lot early on in the year because he had some highlight reel shots and and goals, and he said no, but. I heard from other people that he spent a lot of time refining it. And I think it looks maybe a little bit different than last year. Some of the the dragon shoot stuff that he's doing is maybe a little bit more dynamic than last year. Thanks. I don't know where you're going. Yeah, no, I think it's funny. Like, I, I, I didn't go to this optional skate uh, when Mike Babcock talked about, like, crying i think when when they got the number one pick but like th- it's it's really easy to like forget how different their world is if they don't have matthews like even if they have the number two pick or the number three pick like the the ball game we're talking about is like totally different i don't know if chris you want to jump in well one thing that stands out about that is in talking to some of the guys that work for the montreal canadians they're particularly sensitive about this topic because they had a better chance going to that last ball, better odds than the Leafs did to get Matthews. And I thought you were going to say Galchenyuk. They got, they got they, their draft. They got the lottery pick. They got Galchenyuk. I think they right. had Sergachev in that, 
Well, that that much I don't remember. But they're they're just sensitive because right now it looks like they're in the mud, right? And, and everyone is talking about how they're terrible and they've made all these bad decisions. And I'm certainly not, to, you know, throwing this out to defend their decisions. But they're they what they say is that if they had won that lottery, they have the center that they have never had. They probably don't make the Duran trade. I mean, I guess it wouldn't even have Sergachev if that was. But you know, the, the sort of cascading circumstances around this is. Then they have a high-end defenseman, they have a high-end goalie, and they have a high-end number one center, and probably how they're viewed is totally different. So, I mean, there is an element of luck here, and and we know the Leafs, if they didn't outright tank, they certainly didn't embrace the idea of winning a whole bunch of games that March and in early April. And, you know... Ole Okunen era? Joachim Lindstrom? Yeah. He's an an Olympian right now for Sweden. Who's Zach Sill? Zach Sill. I can pull up the list. Yeah, well, Although, we there's two years there. Eric Brewer played his thousandth game late in that season, that I believe. It was such a weird year. I mean, there's the, the Leafs had a lot of players two, oh, yeah. two three years ago. I mean, it, it like 58 or something crazy? Yeah. <laughs> Who's the most unlikely guy on the list, Jonas? You gotta go even later in the year than that. You it's a really great list. Deadline. Let's see. Well, this is post trade deadline. Uh. Like the same lineup had Michael Grabner, Colin Greening, Mark Arcabello, P.A. Parento, Brad Boys, Rich Clune, Byron Fraze. This is all the same lineup. Martin Marinchin, Frank Corrado, Stuart Percy, Victor Love, and my favorite, Jonathan Bernier and Four goal. of the forwards are in the NHL. Yeah, like it's crazy. <laughs> and it's like two years ago. That's crazy. And that, so this is a good transition um, to something that is kind of relevant now again, is the Dionfanov trade. Dionfanov, of course, traded again. But, like, you still look back, and you, it's still crazy that it's two years ago, and it's crazy that they didn't have to absorb any salary. And yet, like, you can you can kind of rationalize it sort of if you're Ottawa, but, like, given, like, how quickly he's declined, like, it's, it's worth wondering, like, what would have happened if they had to eat some of his money just like they had to eat some of Kessel's, you know? I thought for sure they were going to have to. It was weird that they ended up having to eat on Kessel, but not on Funoff when Kessel was still such a high-level player. And it was pretty clear by the end when I don't know what Ottawa's thinking they're going to like go for it and have a run. And I guess they kind of did last year. But I wonder if Dion's like a number five defenseman at this point when you watch him skate and and, and they're using him on like a shutdown pair, which is crazy. Yeah, in Ottawa. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that, look, that at the time. And, and it's not even to say they're short-sighted. Ottawa is managing always to try to save money wherever they can. Mm-hmm. And so the key ingredient from the Sens perspective of the FNUF trade was that they were getting a D they felt they could use, and they were getting rid of contracts and players they didn't have use for. Mm-hmm. And so that, that explains why and Mahalik, Colin Greening, and Jared Cowan becoming Leafs as part of that trade. And it just underscores, actually, James, the fact that they had to retain on Kessel and didn't have to retain on FNUF why it's so hard to make trades in the NHL now because you need everything to fall together perfectly. And even as good as Phil Kessel was, and even though they were selling him at around a draft time, you know, when trades theoretically are easier to make because you're not in season, there wasn't enough demand that they could get. His value was low. Like, they sold low on him because he had that year where it looked like, I mean, no offense to Phil, but people were saying he wasn't trying. Right. Right. And I'm sure other teams are like, well, he's getting older. He's not the best defensive player. and. And, cetera, cetera. and yet somehow they make a enough trade that just falls together perfectly because the Leafs were in a position to take on those those contracts and 
And so, you know, in a sense, they did eat money on that one because they had to pay players that, that didn't do much for them as in terms of helping them win at that time. But, I mean, it's a great bit of work. I mean, they got rid of the, the Clarkson contract. I mean, it's still being having guys in LTIR is not ideal, and, and we won't go too deep on salary cap stuff. I mean, it's, there's still a penalty to having Nathan Horton in the organization for the Leafs. It's not, it's not perfect. But they did manage to get rid of Clarkson. They got rid of... Uh, Kessel only keeping $1.2 and they got rid of Phaneuf and didn't really hurt them that much. Well, generally speaking, you look at their cap situation, it looks pretty good. Like, you look... Well, that was my phone. You look long-term, and and the Leafs, other than Horton, aren't really tied up with crap the way that... And then you look at a team like Detroit at their cap situation, it's like, holy cow, is that bad. And next year, it should be great for the Leafs. I mean, it gets, yes. it gets a lot tougher beyond that, and, and I'm sure that as soon as the playoffs are done, there'll be a heavy focus on... Sure on what, what's to come for the young guys and how are they going to get paid and how is it going to impact everybody else and what it, they can do. But they're really set up awesome for next year. So it'll be interesting to see in free agency, for example, if they sign someone for a crazy number for one year or something like that because they can, and it makes probably some sense to try and do that. Or last night of the game, Jonas was talking about uh, Derek Broussard as potentially a target because he's only got the one year left on his deal. Like they can bring in a guy like that with just the one year left, with the intention that we're probably not going to sign him beyond that. And so, the, like they could, they could theoretically, maybe you're right. They go crazy on a one year deal on one guy, or maybe they add like three pieces, and then like the depth of the Leafs could really improve next year. You could, you could subtract a Bozak and bring in a Broussard. You could like upgrade it in a whole bunch of different areas because their cap situation is so good next year. There's so much they can do. Like they could go out. Who knows what will happen with John Tavares, but like, let's say you get John Tavares and like suddenly that changes your, your picture a little bit, but then maybe you trade Kadri or maybe, you know, like there's just all these like different manifestations, but you guys have both done um, really good reporting on the James, or do you have something to say on that? Here, hang on. Well, I mean, if we're just in the dream scenario now, like just sitting around three guys in February <laughs> with nothing else to do, but if they were ever able to sign Tavares, and I think that's a huge if on a number of fronts. But the perfect scenario for them would be that they have the cap space next year to keep Kadri, I would argue, sure. under that scenario. And I haven't run all the numbers on this, but I think that there's ways to do it. And then you're trading Kadri before the, the following year, most likely, sure. when you have a Matthews extension and a Marner extension kicking right. in and, yeah. and some other things. But, I mean, imagine a team rolling out Matthews, Kadri, and Tavares as, you know, I don't know I'm saying in that order. Maybe Tavares, Matthews, Kadri, whatever you want to call it. But, yeah. I mean, that would be pretty hard to defend against. But, again, very dream scenario. I think the alt – honestly, everyone wants to talk about this trade deadline. The most perfect thing just in philosophy the Leafs could do, I think, is get someone like Derek Broussard, someone who's a very useful centerman because it gives you depth for this playoff run and it gives you protection for when Bozak likely walks out the door on July 1st. Jonas and I were also debating that, though. I don't think that they have the – what's Broussard make? Five? Four? Yeah, five. Five, yeah. So – I don't know that they have the cap space for that, but I mean, I think they could easily create it if you find a way to like boot Martin or whatever. Like they're not that far away. Well, Brandon Pridham's a ninja, so I'm sure he'll <laughs> he'll find a way. The cap space is is but a suggestion when the Leafs are involved. So he's actually in the closet right now. We didn't even know about it. <laughs> okay, so that that's like very top of mind the center stuff because I have a story coming out on the Athletic oh, about that. My apologies. No, it's okay. That's exactly. <laughs> you mentioned Broussard. Yeah, he's okay. he's he's like the person that makes some sense like there's just the problem for them Ottawa's not going to trade Broussard here really I don't think there's any chance Ottawa makes it a real deal with the Leafs I don't see them huh. they're sensitive to that 
They don't like the way Leafs fans come in their building. I would be stunned if they sent a real player to the Leafs. I mean, he's a good player too, right? Yeah, no, I it's, really like the way he plays. It's yeah. it's honestly he's more perfect for the Leafs. It's more about I don't believe the Senators would ever make that trade. I mean, the Fanuf deal again. It's only because. It was like they were the last two people left in the bar at 2 a.m. And they were the perfect match in that one very specific scenario in that the Leafs could take those contracts and and Ottawa was the one team willing to take Phaneuf and not have the Leafs retain at that point. They, it, it was just too perfect of a match. They couldn't do it. You know, I think with someone like Broussard, there's just other teams that that would, would also bid heavily on him. And, and Ottawa, just to not to save face, but they don't want to see this guy. But what do they... Hang on. But what do they care? They're going to be bad. What to, they, like if you get stuff, they don't think they're going to be bad. Well, then they, I, they I should like, watch their games. Pierre Dorian went down to Barbados or whatever and talked to Melnick and said gave him a three year plan and I don't think it was to be bad. Okay, well, good luck with that. Um, <laughs> they have pieces though. Sure, no, that like they're not they're not rebuilding next year. They're trying to keep Carlson. Okay, well that's good. But this is not the Senators' report. So hang on. Yeah, but how many trades do the Flames and, and Oilers make? I mean, next to none in history. The Leafs and Glenn Senators, Glenn next Glenn. to none in history. I think Ladislav Smead was involved in one. But but what I'm saying is it's almost none. I mean, there's certain teams that just don't deal with each other. Have the Canadians, other than the Grabowski deal, do you remember any Leafs-Habs deal? No. The crazy part is that it was the Leafs' captain. <laughs> it's not just a deal. It's like, here's the face of our team. Right, well... Okay, well, that's. I'm sorry, but if that's the way teams operate, that's stupid. Like, you should just yes. get the best trade. But anyway. He's still a small town, Jonas. We need to move on. Because you guys have both done really good reporting on the James Van Riemsdyk thing, situation. I shouldn't call it a thing. Um, I think it's fascinating the more I watch games and the more he's. Um, you just don't notice him. And, the, and he's not used in third periods where they're ahead. He's barely used in overtime. He's barely used in a shootout. Like, his role just seems less and less important. And it's gotten me to thinking, like, if I'm Toronto and there's a team out there that's going to give me something interesting for him, and I don't know if there is, um, maybe I consider it. Like, maybe I can just replace him with, I don't know, Andreas Johnson or Josh Levo and give Matthews more power play time. Do you know what I mean? Like, is there some thought that you would consider it if you were them? I think, Chris, by the way, you reported that they're not going to move him. Is that right? Well, teams have been told they don't intend okay, to move him. Okay, you I mean, said teams have been told that they don't intend to move him. There's still 10 or 11 days. I mean, that could change. I don't think they see it the same way that we do as like an opportunity to get a pick or whatever. I think they see it as we're a cup contender and we're keeping this together and we're going for that's it. Valid. So, yeah, that's 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 their take on that. But there's no chance he's back with the Leafs. I mean, like that's that much... That, that there's would, no chance any of those guys are coming back. I don't think so, no. And, and I mean... Leo? Leo may be on a cheap deal. It could happen. I, I just don't see the Leafs committing the cap dollars that Ben Reemsdyke's worth. And, you know, they haven't made an offer. I mean, certainly the feeling that JVR's camp's been left with is that the Leafs just aren't that into him. And that, that you know, I don't think there's anything bad that's happened here. It's just that you have to make these kind of decisions in a cap world, and, and that's where everything's at. I mean, this has been a really tough year on, on James. You know, I give him credit because – I don't think he's done anything to become a distraction any more than obviously the media is talking about this and focus on this, the fans. Um, but, you know, his role has been reduced to a level he hasn't seen since he was a rookie with the Flyers. Uh, he hasn't complained about it. He still has 23 goals as we're talking right now. He's been a big contributor on their top power play unit. 
Um, but in a contract year, this is not ideal. His future's up in the air. He's, I think, a little nervous about the possibility of a trade just because you never know. And But, you know, the one thing working against the Leafs in terms of dealing him, I think, in addition to the fact that he scored a lot and he probably will continue to, is, is that there's a lot of other scoring wingers on the market. And, you know, he's less of a commodity probably in this marketplace than he would be if you didn't have Rick Nash, Max Pacioretty, Evander Kane, you know, other guys that could score goals for you that are available. What do you think his contract looks like with another team in the summer? Somewhere in the six times six million range. Um, probably not getting that seventh year like we saw a lot of guys get a few years ago. The Andrew Lads, Kyle Pozo. Did Louis Erickson get a seventh year? It might have been six years. But, uh, you know, there was a sort of seven times six contract that a lot of the coveted free agents a few years ago got. I think given Van Riemsdyk's age and rate of production, he's probably got a market of about seven to eight teams that are that are watching him uh, pretty closely. And, and I'm, I'd be stunned if he took, had to take less than $6 million on the next deal. You look at what's happening in free agency and baseball, and you wonder if that's going to start. Like, it kind of has happened in hockey a little bit, where like the veteran guys that haven't had any production have been pushed out of the league, basically. Like, if you're like kind of like a middling guy, you're in big trouble. But like, I think Chris is right. I, but I think he might have to settle for six by six, as opposed to like getting like a crazy out of control mm-hmm. contract. Well, I think teams are just finally getting smarter. Like, there's just so much evidence that the guys you signed to these crazy deals, like, is Andrew Ladd signed that deal? What was it, two years ago? Seven by forty-two. Like, that's that's not good. But there's one thing I want to ask you guys before we go, and then we got to wrap. What do you guys make of Mike Babcock being so vocal that he wants them to make trade, like, to upgrade the roster? Like, I don't know if this is just a Toronto thing that we focus on, but it seems unusual that a coach would like be this outspoken about the fact that he wants his GM to make trades to make the team better. I mean, we've talked about this before. Babcock's more than a coach in this organization. He's like, I don't know if he's an AGM or something, but he's certainly, he's got more than one hat and he signed longer than anybody else in the organization, longer than any player, right? So I think that, I think that that's part of it. I think that he's got a big say. I think he had a big say in Marlowe coming. I think he had a big say in Zaitsev getting his crazy long-term, I guess Zaitsev signed longer than Babcock. But I think what you're seeing from Babcock, the thing, the thing that's great about covering Mike Babcock is that he gives you a window into what he actually thinks. And I think he just thinks, we have a chance, let's go for it. Exactly. And and look, James, for sure, he has way more of a say than your average coach. Probably even more. There might only be a handful of guys around the league that are remotely close to him in terms of the influence he has on the moves that are going to be made in the, around the team before February 26th. I also think... On some level, he understands the media game. He doesn't mind being front and center. He knows we're going to talk about the trade deadline, whether he says anything or not. So he's he's getting in his two cents. Like, I think he likes, you know, remember there was one day about a month or so ago and, and things were kind of quiet. And he's like, come on, guys, make up some rumors. Like, it's too quiet around here. Like, I do think he enjoys the pitter-patter a little bit. And, you know, obviously in a perfect world, he wants like a top four D. But realistically, that player is probably not walking through the door at the trade deadline. So, you know, obviously he always wants his team to be better. The, the funny thing is, looking at the like the players that I'm comfortable saying will probably move before the deadline, I honestly barely see one that I could see the Leafs, that I could make a case what about Blakanich? the Leafs should give up picks for or whatever. Blakanich is is interesting. Sounds he's, like it might only be like a third-round pick. The $6 million cap hit 
Yeah, they'd have to retain. Is going to uh, they'd have to retain get get in the middle of that a little bit. But I yeah I could I could buy that. I mean look, the, it's clear he doesn't like using Dominic Moore. I mean he's sending Tyler Bozak out for a third of his shifts. You know nowadays in, in place of him. You know, more scored in, in the game against Columbus and got a bit more ice time, I think, as a result. But uh, backhand snipe. But you know, there, there's just there's everybody wants the Leafs to make all these moves. I don't I don't see a lot of moves out there for them. Um, and they they probably still got a decent chance to win around with with the lineup they have today. They might win more than that. People are going to be getting angry at you. All right, that's all we have time for. Okay, we got to do the promos though. Okay, Buy Bab socks. Go to the athletic. Or no, no, don't go to that. Well, go to the athletic.com. Yeah, but if you want a discount on an athletic membership, send me a tweet on Twitter, and I will give you thirty percent off tomorrow. Okay, and go read Chris's story from the Wednesday game uh, on Sportsnet.ca. Read James's story about the fifty-seven shot marathon against Columbus and. Yeah, we'll be back next week to talk more about the trade deadline because it'll be closer. Bye. Thanks for tuning in to the Leaf Report. Follow the guys on Twitter at Jonas Siegel and at Myrtle.